You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Vancouver police have released a list of their top 10 after the riot that broke out at a canceled music festival last month. Investigators are hoping the images will help identify those responsible for hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. Kamal Karamali has more. Six weeks after the chaos, the damage action at a cancelled concert appearance on the PE grounds. And now we've identified the 10 most wanted from this summer's breakout festival riot at the PE. Police have now narrowed down their hunt to these top 10 suspects. These are the people that uh, committed what we believe or feel are the most dangerous acts. Uh, so putting other concert goers at risk. The baby arrived to break out festival and was unfortunately too sick to perform. September 18th, the crowd erupted in booze when the hip-hop event called the Breakout Festival announced its headliner would not take to the stage. Yeah! That's when a riot broke out, about a thousand people destroying property. Destroying food kiosks, overturning tables, climbing light fixtures, etc. This action ca carried out into outside of the PE grounds, into the nearby neighborhood where we had fights. In total, more than $300,000 of damage. We are going through the insurance process. We're working with the promoter and their insurer, and all indications are is that they that, that will be recovered through that process. Police are investigating reports of assaults. It was uh, very traumatizing for all of our staff members, including, as you point out, a number of our young employees. For weeks, investigators combed through videos posted on social media. The public also flooded their tip line with riot footage, all of that culminating to the release of these 10 images. We're asking people to identify suspects and put them accountable. Much of what was caught on camera could result in charges of mischief. And while these 10 share the spotlight for now, police say they have dozens more images of suspects they expect to roll out. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Day two of Doug McCallum's trial on a charge of public mischief. It's our first interview he gave to police after he said someone ran over his foot in a grocery store parking lot. There is security video of that incident too. And Catherine Urquhart has the details of how it all played out in court today. You want me to sit over here? Yeah, you in September 2021, Surrey Mayor Dallum gave this recorded statement to Surrey RCMP. She pulled in like this and pinned me right here okay. and then um, and touching me and um, and then just screaming blue murder. He claimed that earlier in the day, his foot had been run over by Debbie Johnstone. Right across here. CCD footage taken moments later showed him walking away from that encounter with no apparent limp. As she tore out, she even came closer to me, like, like she turned right into me. Okay. And then when she turned, she ran right over my foot to my leg. Um, Right, right up at the top of my foot, man, right up. McCallum was later charged with public mischief, and his trial is now underway in Surrey Provincial Court. Evidence on day two included testimony from the lead investigator with Surrey RCMP, who admitted police could not conclude if the mayor's foot had been run over. Sergeant Andre Johnny testified about the initial stages of the investigation. 
Under cross-examination, he said that the officers involved in the case were required to sign non-disclosure agreements. He also testified that during a briefing involving about nine officers, they discussed the possibility of putting a surveillance team on the mayor, but decided against doing so. The trial is scheduled for seven days, and it's still unknown if McCallum will testify. I went to um, Peace Arch Hospital, um, and they did about seven x-rays on it. Mm-hmm. Well, they looked at it first, and it was all in yeah. um, And so they did a bunch of x-rays, and the results came back that there's uh, damage to the soft tissue on top of the foot, okay. um, but there's no broken bones. Mm-hmm. Public mischief is committed when someone misleads a police investigation. As this case has proceeded summarily, it carries a possible sentence of up to six months in jail. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. There are new details tonight and never before seen video from the Canadian Tire Store as Daniel Rintoul began his rampage there six years ago, eventually shot and killed by Vancouver police. The coroner's inquest is examining the events to hopefully prevent similar deaths in the future. Grace Key shows us more, and first, a warning. Some of the details in this report might be disturbing. Taking the stand was the Canadian Tire worker who was stabbed that day. Daniel Rintoul approached the gun's counter. He noticed right away Rintoul's fingers on the trigger with the bare mace. He said to his co-worker, I think we're going to be in an S show. He asked Rintoul, can I help you? Rintoul said, give me the guns. The worker asked, which ones would you like? And that's when employees got hit with the bear spray. The worker then grabbed a rifle and struck Rintoul with it, hoping it would slow him down. Rintoul grabbed the rifle away, slashed the worker and stabbed him twice in the back. Outside, the worker told us he couldn't let Rintoul get to the guns. There were children inside the store. He also said there were near security measures at the Canadian Tire, including alarms and fuss. A video interview of the elderly man who was held hostage was also played. The man said he got off the elevator and saw a pool of blood and a man down. Another man shouted to get back downstairs. He was heading down the exit when he saw Rintoul coming down the escalator. Rintoul showed him the knife and told him to do it and he won't get hurt. Rintoul steered the hostage to an exit and let him go before the struggle with police. Outside, an officer was stabbed, police opened fire, and you could hear Rintoul screaming repeatedly, finish me off. A customer that day testified and spoke about the struggle with police. They were, like, they were losing him. Like he was, he was getting away. There was no doubt about it. He was getting away. And there was the potential of one of their guns there that uh, he got to that. I think we were all in a lot of trouble. Police officers were in trouble trying to secure him. And if he did get fully away, I think the rest of us that were standing up there, which is probably 20 or 30 people, were in trouble. On Wednesday, we'll be hearing from officers who responded to the scene. In Burnaby, Grace Key, Global News. BC's police watchdog has cleared two officers in the death of a man last year in Coquitlam. Residents called 911 when they heard a man banging his head on their front door. He was dressed only in his underwear and a t-shirt. Video of the incident showed the man pursuing an officer with his arms out like a zombie. The officer retreated, trying to de-escalate the situation. Eventually, another officer arrived and put the man in a bear hug. After he was handcuffed, the man coughed and sputtered, according to witness accounts, and then went into arrest. They immediately removed cuffs and rendered care. The autopsy concluded the man died of the combined effects of delirium and restraint. 
The Surrey Teachers Association is ringing an alarm bell about classroom safety just two months into the school year. Dozens of violent incidents have been reported to work safety from teachers assaulted and hurt on the job. Richard Zussman has more. Ringing the alarm bells. The working conditions don't work for our, our kids right now in the system. Specialist teachers in Surrey often not being replaced when sick, leading to a lack of support for students and a rise in violence. Since the beginning of the school year, 58 teachers filing WorkSafe BC complaints. It could be um, throwing items, it could be bites, kicks. Uh, it, it really is a variety of things. A vast majority of the complaints connected to students who are supposed to have specialist teachers in the classroom, but in those cases, the teacher was not there because of an absence. The province not committing to ensure that specialist teacher resources are there when they are needed. Safety of staff and students in, uh, in our school environments is, our, is a top priority. In the process of uh, the ratification of, uh, of the tentative agreement, it does not go anywhere near, near the working condition improvements that we seek. Our teachers need supports. The full details of that tentative agreement have not been released to the public, while worries continue to climb about students falling behind in numeracy and literacy due to those prolonged absences or redirection of specialists, with the BC Liberals echoing those concerns. Commitment that they need to make is to kids and to ensure that everyone can be safe in the classroom. They need to immediately address um, recruiting issues, retention issues. It's impacting teacher workload and burnout. One specialist telling the union it took 20 days of absences to finally find a fill-in. All of this leading to a simple message to those families impacted by the specialist shortage. Parents can reach out to their MLAs and their elected school trustees and let them know that this is not good enough for their kids. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. An all-party committee is making a number of recommendations to help tackle the ongoing overdose crisis in B.C. The new report, titled Closing Gaps, Reducing Barriers, calls for a major boost publicly funded drug treatment and recovery beds. But as Kylie Stanton reports, critics aren't convinced the government will deliver. In the seven years since British Columbia declared a public health emergency, illicit drugs have claimed more than 10,000 lives. Friends, family members, colleagues from every walk of life. We could actually end this. Do we want to stop the deaths or do we want this to continue? Now a new report titled Closing Gaps, Reducing Barriers is calling for urgent action from the province to address the deadly crisis. It was a, a process of us coming over party lines and sitting down really in solidarity um, with the British Columbians that are suffering such great losses. A total of 37 recommendations have been put forward. This includes a substantial increase in publicly funded, evidence-based and accredited treatment and recovery beds and outpatient services, ensuring ready access to take-home naloxone kits and standardized harm reduction services, including overdose prevention and drug checking throughout BC. Where no matter what part of the province you're in, you know you can get the services you need to stay alive. But there's concern even from members of the committee, this doesn't go nearly far enough. What this report largely does reiterates what has been called for uh, many times in the past. What's needed 
is action. A trend that emerged during the committee's examination was the frequency with which people who died due to illicit drug toxicity had recent contact with the health care system or government services. But 70% saw a health professional within three months of their death. 30% of those people had 10 or more visits in that time. And those released from prison died at seven times the rate of other BC residents. Those are critical and important touch points. Something is desperately wrong. It must be fixed. There's never been such an expansion in British Columbia as there has been under this ministry. And the loss of life and the length of waiting lists tell us absolutely we need to do more and we continue to. But all while people continue to die. Nearly 1,800 in the six months it took to complete the report. It's an amoral decision not to actually be bold at this point. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And mental illness so often associated with drug use. Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, the subject of mental health calls and policing came up again in the legislature today. The opposition really mm -hmm. grilling the process issue. Yeah, public safety and random violence has really emerged as a dominant issue here at the legislature for this legislative session, at least uh, during question period, on display again today. Today focused on the use of uh, mental health police cars in which you see uh, fully trained mental health nurses accompany police teams and sort of integrated crisis team. Uh, the opposition today pointing out their government's own commission report uh, had a reference to Burnaby requesting a, such of a unit, but the province not funding, and of course, raising, of course, in the context of Constable Yang's tragic death. Here's an exchange in the question period today. And I quote from the Lepard report again. They have a proposal from Burnaby RCMP and Fraser Health provided no explanation, end quote. So this NDP government has ignored every suggestion that we have made related to the crisis on our streets without explanation. So why has the NDP blocked integrated mental health teams? And most encouragingly, and one that we have a lot of police support for, is instead of asking police to respond to mental health and crisis on the street um, calls, that like on North Shore with the peer-assisted crisis team, it is the peer worker team and the mental health uh, worker team that respond. And if they need police backup, they, uh, then they are called in. And we've got data on this from the first year. We're funding this in two more communities, and I hope we'll fund it in more. So Malcolmson went on to say there are mental health police cars, uh, programs in place in places like Vancouver, the North Shore, Surrey, uh, the Capital Region, Kelowna, Kamloops, Terrace, and Fort St. John, uh, but not necessarily in Burnaby. Now tomorrow is the funeral for Constable Yang. We'll be carrying live footage of that starting at 9.30 tomorrow morning on BC1. Yeah, special coverage hosted by uh, Sophie and I. Look forward to that very much, Keith. It's the financial balloon ready to pop. Canadians unwilling to slow their spending and relying too heavily on credit to pay the bills. How quickly debt is rising and what experts say about reining it in. Next on the News Hour. That a lot of people asking for signatures, pictures, which is very new for me. Call it breaking news. The BC B-Boy training himself for Olympic success coming up a little later. Plus, do you recognize this ring? where it was found and why police believe it must have sentimental value to someone. That's later as well. But right now, Canadians are racking up their debt, erasing a lot of the gains they made paying it off during the pandemic. But as Aaron MacArthur shows us, experts say there are many ways to get that spending back under control. 
Retail therapy still high on many people's list of recreational activities. Stores business as people are still buying. Despite six successive rate hikes from the Bank of Canada, people have been reluctant to slow their spending. Increasingly, that spending is with money they don't have. Debt levels starting to approach highs not seen since before the pandemic. Equifax reported that the consumer debt was $2.3 A new survey done for consumer credit company Equifax shows how quickly debt levels have been rising in Canada. During the pandemic, government stimulus combined with fewer places to spend led to record levels of savings and a noticeable downturn in the use of credit cards. That trend has now been reversed. Credit card usage is up, so is the amount of unpaid balances. According to Equifax, the average amount sitting on Canadians' credit cards is more than $2,100. Add in things like car payments and lines of credit, non-mortgage debt has risen to more than $21,000. Financial educators say the key is to build a budget and then stick to it. You need to be really, really mindful of where you're spending your money. Spend within your means. Only buy things that you need. The debt is keeping people up at night. About half those surveyed say they are anxious about their debt levels. That number is 60% in B.C. Credit counselors say the key is not to panic and to seek help before things spiral out of control. We need to have a plan. How do we get out of this? How do we get out of debt? And if it's taken you two or three years to get into debt, it's going to take you two or three years to get back out of debt. Numbers have been strong, but if the economy dips into a recession deep enough to start to affect job growth, personal debt could become a serious hindrance to any economic recovery. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still to come, a Mexican vacation ends badly. We were notified that our particular flight was canceled. With no way home, they had to pay to stay. But you won't believe what happened when they requested compensation from the airline. And a radical twist on student living. How the young and old are learning from each other at a BC Seniors residence. Extra busy for southbound traffic at the Arthur Lang Bridge. Crews are on scene to a crash at mid-span in the right lane. Tomorrow's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $10 million plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A baffling travel story for you tonight. A group of passengers all together on a trip to Mexico have their flight home cancelled at the last minute. They had to pay for accommodation and travel and were promised compensation from WestJet. But shockingly, only one of them got it until they called Consumer Matters. Andrew is here with more. Anne? Thanks, Chris. WestJet customer Dan Grant is still struggling to understand why only one member of his travel party of seven received partial compensation for a flight WestJet cancelled. He says his battle with the airline for compensation went on for 10 months. Exhausted, he turned to Consumer Matters for help. At the Puerto Vallarta airport, our flight was delayed and then subsequently cancelled. That marked the beginning of Dan Grant's battle with WestJet for compensation. Last December on New Year's Eve, the Victoria resident, along with his family and friends, were on their way home to B.C. from Mexico. All seven were booked the same WestJet flight. But just before they were about to depart, Dan says there was a change in plan. We're notified that our particular flight was cancelled. Dan says everyone in his group received this letter from WestJet, apologizing for the disruption and stating the airport 
airline would compensate them up to $500 U.S. per night for patients along with transportation costs. So when Dan and his family and friends returned home to B.C., Dan says everyone filed their claims. Of the seven people who made claims for the exact same WestJet flight, only one person, Dan's son, received partial compensation. We filed the claims fairly much at the same time, and uh, I got a letter back from WestJet with a denial. WestJet's letter to Dan stating his trip from Puerto Vallarta to Vancouver was cancelled due to unplanned aircraft maintenance required for safety purposes and is considered outside of the airline's control. But Dan's son, the only one to receive compensation, got a much different letter from WestJet. The airline stating in part, we are very sorry for the cancellation due to maintenance. To get denied is just, you know, what's going on here? Consumer Matters reached out to WestJet on Dan's behalf and received the following statement from WestJet apologizing for the mistake. Unfortunately, the claim did not reflect the letter Grant and his corresponding party were sent on behalf of WestJet on their file. As a result, when our guest support team initially reviewed his claim, as well as the others, they would have only seen that their flight was cancelled due to uncontrollable maintenance, which is not eligible for any kind of reimbursement through the APR portal. But upon further review of the Air Passenger Protection Regulations, which sets out airlines' obligations to passengers, there is no category for what WestJet calls uncontrollable maintenance. We see yet another example of airlines getting away with misinforming the public, with skirting their responsibilities under the APPR because there are no consequences. After Consumer Matters reached out, Dan says he was refunded approximately $1,300 for his expenses and the rest of his party received full compensation. If it wasn't for, you know, you getting involved, I don't think we'd be much further ahead. We'd still be trying to get a hold of someone at WestJet and get some compensation. I mean, it's already been 10 months. Now, we also asked WestJet for further clarification on why Dan's flight was cancelled in the first place. What did it mean by uncontrollable maintenance? WestJet told us this indicates the aircraft required maintenance before it was declared flight. But when we asked exactly what aircraft maintenance was required, we never got a response. Again, in these types of situations, it's important to keep all your receipts, have a record of everything. If you feel the law has been broken and you were not treated fairly, passenger rights advocates recommend going to the BC Civil Resolution Tribunal. If you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. What a struggle for those customers and glad you helped. Thanks very much, Anne. All right, living in a dorm setting is a rite of passage for many students, but for two students attending university in Kelowna, it's not exactly what they think. But as Claudia Van Emmerich reports, they are thrilled with how it's all turned out. It's a dorm facility where students study and practice music, but this accommodation isn't on a university campus. It's at a senior's home in Kelowna. After, oh, that's so weird, but having done it for the past three-ish months, it's bizarre that it's not a more popular thing, but it actually just feels like a blessing. It, it's, it's wild. The unique concept allows the UBCO students to live here at a significantly reduced rate. The cheap rent is nice. Um, we were looking at other places before we heard and yeah, it was looking pretty dire. In exchange for 10 volunteer hours a week doing things like this. 
putting on recreational activities, among other things. We've done baking for the folks here. We made little pumpkin pies. We play, uh, like, there's magnetic darts we do. A bunch of fun stuff, bunch of fun stuff. The seniors seem to really enjoy. I'm so happy. I'm glad, actually. The student dorms can accommodate up to four students. So we have our 134 units for our residents, and then we have four dorms in the lower level. But right now, there are only two students, as the newly built facility the intergenerational model that's more commonly used in Europe to the test. These guys don't replace our staff in any way. They help support our staff. So this is great for them. It's also great for us. But uh, the students themselves, I think they feel like they've won the lottery, but we also do too. On top of volunteering, the unique models also leading to some employment opportunities for the students, benefiting both them and the facility during the current labor shortage. They're able to fill in, help in with housekeeping, help in the kitchen. Uh, so it's great because they both have backgrounds in the kitchen as well. So that's been phenomenal. And as for that phenomenal playing in his dorm room. Well, Paul shares his talent and performs for the residents every Sunday. I have a, um, I don't want to say a fan club, but... <laughs> you probably do. Okay, I have a fan club. <laughs> no wonder with tunes like this. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. Great stuff. All right, Santa Claus won't be coming to town this year, at least not to downtown. Organizers have canceled Vancouver's Santa Claus parade for the third straight year. The parade last made its way through Vancouver in 2019. It was cancelled for two following years because of the pandemic, but this year the problem is sponsorship. No one stepped up in time to keep the parade going. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank used the parade to raise funds, but the impact goes beyond finances, especially for children. For the younger kids, the all of the mystery of Santa Claus and the excitement about what's coming is is still very real for them. For the older kids, being able to be part of a parade, it makes them a celebrity in all sorts of ways. And their response to the cheering crowds as you walk through the parade route uh, really is a is a confidence boost and, and a special experience that not everyone gets. Organizers say they're looking forward to bringing back the parade with a new title sponsor hopefully next year. Up ahead, cancer screening slows to a crawl. Not having results um, four months later is very anxiety provoking. Why patients are forced to wait so long to get results. And what BC Research discovered that could lead to a cure for type 1 diabetes coming up. Still slow for traffic both ways on Highway 1 through Burnaby. This is looking to a crash westbound just after Gillardy in the left lane. Tomorrow's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $10 million plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. There are some major concerns about delays in testing for cervical cancer. Many women postponed getting pap tests during the pandemic. That has now created a surge in the number of tests being done and created a big backlog. Julie Nolan shows us now what's being done to address the problem. 
Um, so I got my pap done July 5th and it's been on the 4th. It will be now four months. Results continually say that they're pending. Like potentially hundreds of other women in BC, Michelle Fetishin is anxiously awaiting results from her cervical screening test. With a history of cancer, she's understandably on edge. Not having results um, four months later is very anxiety provoking and it can be triggering not knowing what my results could possibly be. People are coming in now and either catching up or they're due. Because of the pandemic, many women have put off going into the doctor for a pap test. Now there's a backup, resulting in waits of up to six months for results. But for doctors and their patients, the key to successful outcomes for cervical cancer is catching it early. And now I'm having to tell them, put this in your calendar, because if you haven't heard back from me in four to six months, I do need to chase it up. But anything earlier than that, I'm going to be told there's a backlog. In a statement, the Provincial Medicine Services, who oversees the screening, says, We have faced challenges in meeting target wait times for results as a result of various factors, including an increase in cervical screening since spring 2021 and a shortage of specialized lab professionals. Every time people wait beyond the practice standard, I'm concerned. And that's why we're taking measures uh, to ensure uh, that um, we get back to the practice standard as soon as possible. Still, doctors say continue to get screened, return to your GP if you're seeing symptoms, but if you don't hear back in three to four months... Make sure that, that things didn't get lost in the system and you're not assuming that you have a normal pap smear. Julie Nolan, Global News. Doctors in Vancouver and Toronto say a common prescription drug is showing promise as a potential cure for type 1 diabetes. The drug is called ustekinumab and is often prescribed for people with Crohn's disease and psoriasis. But researchers have found that if it's given to type 1 diabetics in the early stages of the disease, it can help preserve insulin-producing cells. The only catch is the shot has to be given within 100 days of diagnosis and researchers are recruiting new patients to extend their trial. Four of our clients have finished the study. We need to recruit another 40 across Canada. But of the four who've completed the study, two are not using insulin at all. That's called a diabetic or an insulin honeymoon, and that's ultimately the goal of this study. I take it every two months. So I take uh, 90 units um, every two months, um, and I have been doing that since the start of the research trial. and. And yeah, one poke every two months is a lot better than, than multiple pokes a day. Researchers are looking for recently diagnosed type 1 diabetics between the ages of 18 and 35 to participate in their study. And coming up, dreams of Olympic gold. I train usually between four to six hours a day, five to six days a week. BC breaking sensation Phil Wizard wins the world championship but he has a big challenge still ahead. And in sports, NBA legend Steve Nash looks for a new job after moving on from the Brooklyn Nets. Noticed a little frost on the roofs in my neighborhood this morning. Christy's here with a look at the forecast now. Mm -hmm. 
I'm expecting again tonight, actually, Chris, or I guess tomorrow morning, you can expect the potential for a little bit of frost, certainly across Vancouver Island and areas in the interior. I'll show you how cold it'll get. You can probably actually see my breath right now in the in the uh, dark here. Um, here we are, first uh, day of November. Welcome, everyone. It was so nice that we had great weather for Halloween for the most part across the area, despite how wet it was for the last 11 days of October. I want to show you this. Uh, you may forget, but I don't really, the beginning of of October was also very warm. Right across the province, we are above average in terms of temperature, and we had 12 locations have the hottest October on record, including the top, with an anomaly or above average temperature by 4.8 degrees. Again, 12 areas breaking, having the uh, warmest October on record. And in terms of rainfall, we had no rain at all until the 20th of October, and then all of a sudden the floodgates opened. We had two atmospheric rivers, a number of rainstorms, and up at YVR at 70 percent the average and that was just within that 11 day period. Meanwhile, there's many areas in the interior that did not receive the atmospheric rivers that we did and they are still very dry. Now across the south coast, we have an isolated possibility of showers or thunderstorms tonight. Overall, it's snowfall for the southeastern corner. 10 to 20 centimeters is possible and that will be tonight throughout the day tomorrow. Meanwhile, the rest of the province cold but dry. We are expecting sunshine in most areas uh, across the north, though, not climbing above that freezing mark with minus nine expected in Fort Nelson, for example. Four is a daytime high and through the open. Again, southeastern corner snow. And for our region, we'll likely see highs of only nine and 10 degrees tomorrow morning, a low of two. That will be the coldest so far this season, Chris. So definitely the possibility of frost. And the five-day forecast shows heavy rain expected by the latter part of the day on Thursday into our Friday. And tonight's central windows weather wind from this evening where we had these pockets of thunderstorms storms or they weren't and there weren't actually any lightning strikes but they were downpours of rain and there was a bit of hail in there also mm. Chris back to you striking photo okay thanks very much Christy Squire Barnes joins us now with a look at oh no I, I messed up I do that almost every time I no, hold on I'll get to you in a second this is my mistake first of all police are looking for the owner of a ring turned in by a good Samaritan after it was found in a potted plant earlier this year RCMP say the plant was purchased at a Langley Walmart in June and was taken home to Coquitlam where the ring was discovered. Police believe because of the ring's unique custom design, it has sentimental value. So anyone with information on who the rightful owner might be is asked to call Coquitlam RCMP. All right, now we can bring Squire in. You know who's looking for rings? Steve Nash as a coach <laughs> in the NBA. Well, he's going to have to look for it somewhere else other than Brooklyn because mm -hmm. he is out as the Brooklyn Nets head coach. We'll talk about that. Chase Wiggle has been traded from the Steelers to the Bears, and it's Hughes versus Hughes at Rogers Arena tonight. All good stuff. Okay, thanks, Squire. Also, the perfect blend of art and athletics. A BC man on top of the world in the newest Olympic sport of hiking. Slight adjustment to the Slight hair, adjustment and to we're, the hair. we're good to go. Right. Every night it's a huge game for the Canucks, but uh, but now we're talking about a Hughes game. It, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I won't even <laughs> add to that because it was perfect. Uh, we will likely see two-thirds of the Hughes Corporation during the Canucks home game against Jersey. Quinn Hughes versus his younger brother, Jack. Luke Hughes is also a Devils draft pick, but he's still playing college hockey in Michigan. But if Quinn Hughes is 100%, and he says he is, this brother battle is a good subplot to a game where both teams are starting to play better 
than they did at the beginning of the year, especially New Jersey. Friday night, the Vancouver Canucks knocked off the Pittsburgh Penguins for their second win of the season. Tonight, they get another stiff test as the New Jersey Devils come to town riding a three-game win. Canucks are going to have their hands full. The Devils roasted Columbus 7-1 on Sunday night for their sixth win in their last seven games. I think we're playing really well. Uh, we're playing good hockey. Uh, we're playing with our strength, and uh, we know it's not going to be easy tonight, so we just got to come out and uh, play 60-minute Devils hockey game. What's the best devil style? Where, where, when are you the best? How are you playing? Uh, speed. You watch Jack closely. What have you thought about the speed on that side and on the other side of the ice? Yeah, I think he's been really good. I think uh, the first couple games I watched, he uh, he had uh, no points and they were losing, but I thought he had five or six chances a game, and he was, you know, one of the best players on the best in the last couple. He's been he's been doing that well, and um, he's been getting on the score sheet. You can expect to see more lineup changes tonight for the Vancouver Canucks, mainly on the blue line. Brock Besser was a full participant today, but it doesn't look like he'll play tonight. Looks like Jack Rathbone and Kyle Burroughs are also out. Newly acquired Ethan Bear will draw on the left first game as a Canuck and also his first NHL action as he was a healthy scratch for every game in Carolina this season. Quinn Hughes will also make his return to the blue line after dealing with a lower body injury that has plagued him since the preseason. I think, yeah, I, I tweeted a bit and then... Uh... Yeah, I thought it was behind me, then started the season and it just uh, turned down on me. But um, I'm feeling really good now. And I, like I said, hopefully it's behind me and uh, wasn't anything too serious. So it's the Devils tonight as the Vancouver Canucks break out their new reverse retro jerseys. Then it's Kevin BX retirement night on Thursday when the Anaheim Ducks come to town. From Rogers Arena with your ringside report, Jay Janor, Global Sports. And here are those reverse retro jerseys. Throwbacks to 1962 when the Canucks wore them when they were a minor league team. Johnny Canuck on the front. The numbers over the heart. Vancouver will wear these seven different times at home between now and December 27th. So you're going to be seeing a lot of these the rest of the calendar year. Well, if Nathan Rourke had not gotten hurt, he would have been the Western nominee for most, outstand, most outstanding player in the CFL. But Winnipeg quarterback Zach Kolaros got the Western nomination instead. However, Rourke has not been shut out of award season in the CFL. He is the nominee from the West for Canadian Player of the Year, even though he started nine games. But despite playing just half the season, he still finished second in touchdown passes thrown to Kolaros and his almost 79% completion rate is best among all quarterbacks. He was also sixth in yards passing. Again, despite only starting nine of 18 games, if he had played a full year, his numbers would have been off the charts. Abbotsford's Chase Claypool, Claypool make that has been traded by the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Chicago Bears just before the trade deadline passed today. Chicago will give the Steelers a second round pick for Claypool, who was drafted by Pittsburgh in 2020. In Chicago, Claypool could become their number one receiver. He should definitely help a Bears team that has not been all that good at passing the ball this season. Well, Steve Nash is no longer head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. After starting the season two and five, apparently Nash wasn't out and out fired. He and the Nets agreed that it was time for him to go. Nash had never coached before, and the Nets... Are you writing an essay? I'm sorry. Can you hear me typing? Can you hear me typing? Well, that's okay. Sorry. Okay. And the, uh, I thought you were doing your homework there. And the Nets are not an easy team to coach with some of the personalities on the roster, especially Kyrie Irving. You can keep typing if you like. No, I'm a hard got typer, I'm Okay. You can see Steve Nash wasn't long for the job when he got kicked out of the game against Milwaukee last Wednesday, frustrated with the rest, but also probably frustrated with what was going on with his own team. Uh, Nets boss Sean Mark said Steve Nash had to put up with a lot 
as the head coach, and leaving was a mutual decision. Um, he has certainly not had um, an even playing field, you know, over over two and two and a bit years here, and and for that, you know, I, I certainly feel um, definitely some responsibility because this does not fall, not does not fall on him. So it's completely unfair to state the the fact of where we are as a team as an organisation purely on Steve. I'd love to read your thesis when you're done. Yeah, no, I'm just working on notes. <laughs> All right, next you'll meet Philip Kim, a.k.a. Phil Wizard, how he got into Canadian breaking culture and his journey to the Olympics. That's next. Jordan Armstrong is on the desk tonight, joins us now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, it was a pretty chaotic Halloween night in South Delta, and tonight police are out with video to illustrate that. They say as many as 400 people gathered at and near South Delta Secondary and fireworks were shot at bystanders and police. Two officers were hurt. A young woman was also burned. At 11, how police say parents and the community can help identify the instigators. Plus, the numbers are in for the cruise ship season, and the Port of Vancouver did okay this year. In fact, it broke a record in one category with more cruise ship visits in 2022 than in 2019. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Look forward to that. Thanks very much, Jordan. Okay, right now, breakdancing, or breaking as it's known now, is enjoying a major resurgence and set to make its Olympic debut in 2024. And a Vancouver man who just won gold at the recent World Championship working hard to do the same thing at the Olympic Games. Jay Durant breaks it down on This Is BC. Philip Kim just beat out more than 250 competitors to win his first world championship, which also led to his first taste of fame. I had a lot of people asking for signatures, pictures, which is very new for me. My first gold medal. It's taken a lot of sweat and hard work to get to this level. After first getting hooked watching a performance as an 11-year-old. Kim was blown away after he saw a street show by a Vancouver crew called Now or Never. They were like spinning and flying and when I saw it, the first thing I thought when I saw it was like, oh, I could totally get girls with that, like that's so cool. One of the breakers of Now or Never became an early teacher when Kim signed up for summer camps. There's a few people that would, would try it and they would drop out really quick. And he was just one of those kids that just kept wanting to learn more. At age 25, this is now a full-time job with sponsors backing his journey. The incredible athleticism required demands a lot of training, four to six hours a day, five to six days a week. It takes over my whole life. So most of my day, like Monday to Friday, for working, my work is just training. Ooh, and we're done. Breakdancing had its breakout in the early 80s and has since evolved to capture the creativity of performing artists everywhere. You know, it started in the Bronx, but now it's all over the world. People from very different backgrounds. The Wizard has won medals at many international competitions. His recent victory now has him ranked as the number one b-boy in the world and a gold medal favorite when breaking makes its debut at the Olympics in two years. It's not just only potentially a first for Canada, but first for the world. This is the first time he's making its debut into the Olympics for the Paris Games. So it's just an exciting time for everybody. Jay Durant, Global News. 
Way to go, Phil Wizard. We'll be cheering for you in 2024. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique you want to share with the rest of us, as always, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Just type it out. Just type it out like I do. All right, Christy's here with a look at uh, the five-day before we go. You sound like my dad typing. Those are the heaviest fingers ever. It's <laughs> true. All right, so uh, another night tomorrow, but we will see rain by the afternoon on Thursday. Back to you. All right, thanks a lot, Christy, and thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.